0: We have an activist um, who's been an activist for, for us for a long time. He's a really conservative Republican. And uh, when we first got involved in this, he was so excited because he said, you know, he told us his whole story that, that he decades ago was, was addicted to, to opiates and opioids, uh, specifically heroin. And he said the only reason that that he was able to to get off of it and kick that addiction and, and is, is still alive today is because he, he uh, started using cannabis as an alternative treatment. Again, not saying that that's the case for everyone, but it just shows having that option, that that freedom to choose that option can be life-saving in some some instances
1: That is Ross Conley, I'm Dwayne Lester, and this is Top Priority. Welcome to Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. I'm Dwayne Lester. Today's Top Priority is criminal justice reform. We're going to be talking about the principles behind New Hampshire's efforts to decriminalize recreational use cannabis in their state. This podcast was recorded on April 1st, 2021, and as I mentioned earlier, our guest is Ross Connolly, the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Deputy State Director in New Hampshire. In the conversation that follows, you'll hear us use terms like community and vision. You'll hear us talk about mutually reinforcing principles. And before we get into the interview, let's talk about what those things mean. Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the Grassroots Leadership Academy are part of the Stand Together community. A link to the Stand Together website will be included in the show notes. Now each episode we focus heavily on how our vision guides our decisions in the different specific areas we focus on and we're trying to impact. We call these priority initiatives and we sometimes abbreviate them as PI or PIs. You'll also hear us talk about criminal justice reform and we abbreviate that to CJR. Now let's get back to the vision, it's very ambitious. We break barriers that stand in the way of people realizing their potential. This moves our society towards one of mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others improve their lives. This vision is built upon four mutually reinforcing principles, which we also discuss in this podcast. The principles are equal rights, mutual benefit, openness, and self-actualization. You can find the vision and the four mutually reinforcing principles also in the show notes. Now let's talk with Ross about what's going on in his corner of New England and how the decriminalization of the recreational use of cannabis fits into the stand together vision. Let's start at the beginning, then. Let's go right into it. Tell me how how the the war on drugs, substance abuse, how that got on uh, AFP New Hampshire's radar in the first place, and tell me about how you all came mm-hmm. about taking. The actions that you took
0: it really started for us in, in 2016 new hampshire obviously we're, we're part of new england which is a, a small region we have really close relationships with our neighboring states and what happened in 2016 was massachusetts decided uh, on a ballot proposition to legalize cannabis uh, for recreational use uh, adults over the age of 21. And that kind of, start, that started a ca- cascade, uh, where, where Massachusetts started, then it was Maine, now it's Vermont. Canada also in that time period decided to legalize, uh, recreational use and setting up a pathway to have recreational stores where, where we really said, you know, we're, we're on an island now of prohibition and, and we, we made positive steps uh, in 20, 2018, I believe. We, we passed a, a cannabis decriminalization bill, but it really didn't answer all the, the problems and barriers that were set up from prohibition, especially when you're totally surrounded by states that have a legal regulatory market. So what I'm
1: hearing is is that here sits New Hampshire and everything around it, all the states around it, even the foreign countries around it are saying, Let's let's make it legal for recreational use, and New Hampshire's like, well, uh, we can continue to be the outlier, or we can do what's clearly uh, happening around us. And what'd y'all decide?
0: Well, especially after our decriminalization bill, where where we took an approach to have it be a violation level offense for people that uh, are pulled over or detained by the police for for possessing a three quarters, three quarters of an ounce or less of cannabis, that that was a $100 fine. And, you know, that took the first step to sort of address for New Hampshire, the problem of granite staters who who use cannabis and are going to our neighboring states to to purchase it. But it didn't answer the full the full Problem that that we faced as a state, which is our neighboring states or the neighboring country of Canada, considers this to be a, a something that's totally legal and something that is regulated by the government for sale. And there was that huge disparity between New Hampshire and Massachusetts and Maine and Vermont, where where over a hundred thousand granted staters every day or er, on a regular basis go to those states to purchase cannabis and then come back home.
1: Well, I can understand why why the state, why whether there would be people in the state, organizations in the state, or even, you know, members of of the government who would see this as being something that needed action taken on it. Help me understand how AFP New Hampshire decided to get involved because it's not something that we've normally engaged on and when the press release came out, I remember I remember thinking, okay, that this is this is something new i guess we're going this direction help me understand the decision process behind that
0: we saw an opportunity to get involved and, and to make a significant difference in that battle you know we we always look at legislation and, and our involvement in it whether it's criminal justice economic opportunity any of the pis we look at it and say well what difference could we make you know, well, first, what is the barrier that, that we're looking to to break uh, that is standing in the way of people's success? And then what what is the difference that we can make in that fight? And there were in, in the, the discussion around cannabis, it was really there was this huge gap. You know, a lot of groups on the left were supportive, but there weren't many groups on working to get folks on 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 the right or, you know, folks uh, on the Republican side of the aisle to come along and understand you know why this needs to happen, and we saw that opportunity and decided that it was worth us to jump in again when you're surrounded on all borders it it, it sort of becomes a not if it's going to happen but a when and how that this is going to happen and we we found our voice if we were involved in this, would make a big difference in, in ensuring not only is this barrier eliminated for granted staters, but also is this going to be something that we agree with uh, on, uh, on an economic standpoint is, you know, is, are we erecting huge regulatory barriers? You know, a lot of states, it's, it's a a Petri dish kind of uh, testing environment in a lot of these states because there's so much difference between state to state on taxes on regulation on what the market looks like. And we found if we were involved in that discussion, we could really make a, a big difference to ensure that it was an open, free market and uh, taxes were very low and and, and limiting, limiting the expansion of government when it came to this. Because when you go back and look at 1933, when the 21st Amendment was ratified and, and alcohol prohibition ended, we ended up with... 88 years of terrible laws in, in, in the alcohol, alcohol regulatory market. And we don't want that to happen for cannabis legalization. We, w- we want to make this a space that, that has as little government involvement as possible, you know, still having those safety measures, but ensuring we, we aren't growing government in, in a very burdensome way where they can continue to intrude on people's lives.
1: One thing I'm curious about, I, while you were talking, I had several questions, but there are two that that I'm really curious about. The first one is, what you, you said barriers a couple of times, and of course, you know, Stand Together's vision, we exist to break barriers. I'm curious, first of all, what, what barriers you saw standing there that needed broken? Because a lot of people don't think of, of drug prohibition as being a barrier. Some people think that that's actually, a, you know, a good thing but you're saying that drug prohibition is is actually a barrier. And I want to know how that's a barrier. And I also want to know, once you guys started taking the, these actions, once you started moving forward to to break this barrier you've identified, what was the reaction to those Republicans you talked about, the traditional allies, and maybe even your activists?
0: The barrier we really saw is quite obvious. We We, we don't say that cannabis is great for you, you know, opposed to a lot of these other groups you see that that are on the pro side of legalization, we do not say ca- cannabis is great, everyone should do it. Our, our position is that what is the worst harm to, to society at large? And we find that prohibition and the collateral consequences associated with prohibition, which is the most onerous government Regulation you can have threatening so, uh, uh, an individual with, with arrest and, and prison time, that is way worse than, than uh, the alternative. And, and the collateral consequences associated that a lot of people point to, the, the violence, the child's child possession, things like that, or child use, use of, of the drug, that those are actually exacerbated because of prohibition that that in a lot of cases we found in in legal states that child use has not increased if anything it's decreased and it's the same thing with with when it comes to to the crime associated with cannabis and with prohibition that those things are a re- result of prohibition it's not a result of the drug existing and also we we always point out people do those things now people y- use cannabis now and and what is the best pathway to to addressing that is it threatening a person with arrest, um, or is it allowing adults to to use that? And and, and what is the damage to society? It, it, it's a it's a risk analysis essentially. It, it sounds and, and we, like
1: a lot, a lot a lot of what you're saying. It sounds like you really took the idea that there are no solutions, there are only trade offs, and applied it to this idea of prohibition. And and, and you looked at it and you said, okay. We, we're we're doing this now, what are the consequences of that? If we do this, or when other states have done this, what have been the consequences of that? Which set of trade-offs creates the least amount of barriers for people realizing their potential? Is that is that kind of what you're saying? Exactly.
0: It, you know, there's trade-offs in everything. And we find the trade off in with prohibition compared to legalization it's far more beneficial when you look at, at at a legal market that that can be overseen and and regulated but also you know done in a very free market way that that is that is much better than the damage done to communities the things associated with being arrested for cannabis if you are in a state a, a prohibitionist state is uh you lose your financial loans if you're you're in college it's harder to get a job it's harder to get a license uh, for commercial drivers it, it's it makes reverb it makes problems throughout the community that that happens in and that damage is far greater than what what happens in a, in a legal uh regulatory state
1: you can also look at at that which is seen and that which is unseen and and you can trace The consequences of legalization or the consequences of prohibition in different directions i mean you can make a case that the war on drugs has a direct correlation to unnecessary deaths due to the enforcement of prohibition you can make the case that that the the violence on our national border is a direct result of prohibition i mean you have to look past the the, well, this this guy overdosed, and so that's bad, so make it illegal. You can easily say, well, 25 people were beheaded on the border the other day because of prohibition. We should legalize. It is really a matter of saying, let's be realistic. Prohibition is actually resulting in, in far worse consequences than legalization.
0: Prohibition of, of cannabis, just like prohibition of alcohol, creates crime. It, it, it gives power to the cartels. It gives power to organize crime because they're the ones those that black market will always exist and you're there there will be some group that will control that black market and they're usually not good people i i would far prefer the control to be under uh, you know your local citizens who, who decide to open up a, a cannabis store and, and and uh or manufacturing
1: in my head and this this is an idea that some people might find just you know mind blowing but what kind of world would we have think about the world versus the cartels and the gangs that you mentioned versus buying cannabis at CVS or or Walgreens whichever your preference is but you know there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of gang wars right now there aren't a lot of of mafia violence over bootlegging or smuggling alcohol there aren't a lot of deaths from bathtub gin so it, what you're saying to me, I guess, makes sense. You really have to look at the fact that there are a lot of neg- negative consequences that result in barriers of people realizing their potential. One thing I'd like you to help me understand is, is you, you recognize this barrier. You decide your organization's, you know, your chapter's going to take action on this. What was the reaction? What were the reaction from the people that you normally work side by side with, the people who come to your office and volunteer?
0: At first, they, they were quite surprised. Some were, were angry, whether it was representatives. In New Hampshire, we have 400 state representatives, so a lot of them are activists. Um, and a lot of people uh, came to me, or, or, or Greg Moore, state director, and certainly expressed their concern and their opposition. But as, as we took the time, it's been a few years now of us supporting Bill's uh And moving the ball forward on the discussion, and as we've given our our p o b our 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 vision for why we're we're getting involved in this issue more and more Republican representatives or conservative representatives or conservative activists have really come around on the issue and and uh they may not you know support it still out of out of principle you know the a past principle that they hold. But, but they, they understand where we're coming from. And, and uh, we view that as, as a big win that they are, are really starting to understand our, our vision and understanding the current situation. They, they know th- that the, we can't keep going down this road of having prohibition when every state around us has a legal market. And it's just ha- the discussion is, is basically now around well, what what will it look like, and, and that's where the debate is. But uh, it took years to get there, and and really explaining to people of our, you know, why we're we're involved in this issue, and also to the to the people that that you know still disagree with us, explaining to them, hey, it's okay to disagree with us. It's fine that we disagree on this issue, but we're going to still have the conversation with you of. Why we believe in this, and why we think you should also consider supporting this, uh, and and the messaging has really got through. Especially when we talk about the fact that we we don't support everyone going out and, and using cannabis. We just oppose people getting arrested for it.
1: That's that's a leap that sometimes people need to, to have explained to them. Because I, more than once I've I've had to explain to people, look, I don't I don't use drugs. I've never used. A drug in my life or an illegal drug, of course, I've had penicillin or whatever, but've I've never done drugs. Uh, I, I don't plan on doing drugs. that doesn't mean I think they should be criminalized and it doesn't mean that if I want everything legal, that I plan on going out and doing it. and you hear you hear that you know if you want it legal so you can go do it I, I don't I just want I just want limited government and I want it to stay inside its proper role and policing what a person puts in their body is outside of that proper role. And so there are a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of cognitive dissonance on this issue too, where people hold differing opinions. I bet a lot of people that you talk to would scoff at the idea of who was the mayor then, who who was all about policing the big gulps. Was that Bloomberg? Yeah, yeah, that that was Mayor Bloomberg. Yeah, so yeah. they would they would point at Mayor Bloomberg and said, "You have no right to tell me how many big gulps I can have." But they would have no problem saying, Mayor Bloomberg, please keep me, f- keep me from choosing what I put in my body in other ways. And it's that kind of cognitive dissonance that you see here. I'm curious. Mm. I'm curious. Um, have you seen any anyone coming to your organization because of the actions you've taken? Have, has Don't has ab- your base grown at all?
0: Uh, absolutely. Um, we we've <laughs> we've had. Uh, you know, cannabis legalization, phone banks, uh, and, and we have people from all over the political spectrum, volunteers of ours, uh, who, who were volunteers before this, who really agree with us on, on the issue and are really energized. Uh, they're, they're obviously coming in and helping us with it, but also we've had Bernie Sanders supporters. We've had a, a lot of people who, who support this issue, uh, on an emotional basis, that they are really this one issue voters. So we, we get a lot of people who are really apolitical in, in every other issue, but this is what gets them involved. You know, we, we've we helped set up New Hampshire Cannabis Association, uh, one of our volunteers went and set that up and, and have, has been connecting with activists who who, who want to see this this get done in New Hampshire and, and figuring out a way that we can you know bringing in industry leaders from other states and and showing you know uh, the success or failures in other states so that we can build a, a a good market here and uh you know they're they're building that out statewide so we've really grown quite a bit in, in activist involvement and and just the amount of activists who are taking action on this and and also bringing in just grass tops uh, coalition partners. We, we partner with the Marijuana Policy Project, the ACLU, BLM, the New Hampshire Youth Movement. The last two there are, are, are certainly considered more more left leaning. But but we all acknowledge like this is a common goal we have we can work together to try and get it done, and, and, and that's, that's made a, a pretty big difference and, and got a lot of attention at the state house.
1: It seems like you're actually living up to the idea of working with anyone to do good. Oh, yes, absolutely. Help me understand, then, we, we've talked about the barriers that are created by prohibition. Let's get into the mutually beneficial uh, principles, the mutually reinforcing principles, my mistake. Uh, the first one being equal rights. Help me understand how what you've done in New Hampshire is more respectful of of equal rights. As I mentioned,
0: New Hampshire is, is currently a decriminalized cannabis state, meaning there's only a violation. But the way we see it is that $100, $150, depending on the amount, fine that you get. For some people, that's no big deal. For other people... That is a serious problem. And for some people, this is, you know, they're going to get cannabis in another state because they, they use it as an alternative treatment to address some some medical problem. And, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars, hundred bucks, you know, that could be a, a serious problem for some people who who are, are aren't doing anything to harm anyone else they're just making a personal choice that they'd rather use cannabis maybe than than have the opiates their doctor prescribes them something like that and what we want to do is eliminate that last barrier um it's why the past year you know a year ago we had a bill that specifically It was a compromise solution that that proposed just taking it off off the books so that people can't get arrested and they could they could grow it at home if they wanted. There would be no stores under that proposal. And that certainly brought more people in because, uh, you know, you leave out taxes, you leave out regulations. it, It creates less problems, but it eliminates that last barrier that that creates that kind of two tiers uh, of treatment of people that maybe all afford a fine uh, maybe they can't afford the fine and, and and just all the things that come with that that could co- cause problems in their their life just by going to a store in another state
1: that's not the first time i've heard someone talk about the use of cannabis to overcome an, an opioid addiction i i hear that frequently and i think that we need to consider that barrier also that there are people out there who have have become addicted not through the use of heroin, but maybe they they hurt their back and they're taking um opioids to deal with that pain they become addicted and one of the treatments that I've seen that has been effective for people is the use of cannabis to overcome that when you erect that barrier you you are you're preventing them from leading a better life and it's it's just that simple what
0: about yeah, go, ahead. I mean, go ahead we have we have an activist um Who's been an activist for uh, for us for a long time? He's a really conservative Republican, and uh, when we first got involved in this, he was so excited because he said, you know, he told us his whole story that that he decades ago was was addicted to to opiates and opioids, uh, specifically heroin and he said the only reason that that he was able to to get off of it and kick that addiction and and is is still alive today is because he he uh started using cannabis as an alternative treatment again not saying that that's the case for everyone but it just shows having that option that that freedom to choose that option can be life-saving in some some instances because there's nothing else that 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 really got him to kick kick heroin and he's been a a great activist for us uh on this issue as well as all, pretty much all the other issues that we're involved in so he's he's one of the uh the folks that really come around to more of our way of thinking on 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 some other issues uh including immigration trade that we disagreed on because we got involved in this issue and he knew we cared about it
1: so you're telling me that because you took this stance that you've been able to turn people who were also who were against you on other issues and get get them to be more supportive of issues they opposed before?
0: Yeah, uh, I it starts a conversation, you know, it's sort of a central issue that that people they grow up with it, uh everyone goes the dare class, everyone uh <laughs> you know, kind of got the government propaganda on it and, and learned uh, many, many, many people, uh, over 70% of grand estators support legalization. And it really opens people's eyes to what else is government doing that they should not be doing. And uh, having this discussion with activists and legislature uh, legislators opens the door to have other discussions Certainly in in the criminal justice reform space, a lot of the people that we've brought around on cannabis are now supporters of things like qualified immunity or qualified immunity reform. And and looking at at, they're more willing to hear us out on some of these other issues because of of our involvement in in this one.
1: We talked a little bit earlier uh, about the trade offs that you see with between prohibition and legalization. How would you respond to someone who said there is no mutual benefit in legalization?
0: I mean, we start at pointing out the problems that prohibition causes and, and and showing how it creates this system of total distrust in their government and the cascading effect it has in the perception of our criminal justice system. Many people myself included grew their distrust in government from the the war on drugs because we you know people in my generation certainly felt lied to by the government and many people know, also know people that have have been arrested or have been involved with the police because of this issue and and having that discussion and pointing out the actual statistics from from some of the legal states we we do have Many case studies out there at this point, and it's very clear that before legalization, people use cannabis. Uh, under prohibition, people are accessing cannabis. We always say, you know, uh, our, our coalition partner at MPP always points out: if you ask someone where in a prohibitionist state where's the easiest place to to find cannabis, a lot of people will point you to the high school. That, that can be the the one of the most accessible places to get it, but in a, in legal states the you see decreases in those areas uh that that actually limits the access of of people who are underage to get it and and, and just the decrease in and all the collateral consequences that student who who you know uses cannabis in college and and in one state you know. Could lose their financial aid, uh, get kicked out of college, not be able to go back, and and what are the con- long term consequences of taking that perfectly that person who is a, a perfect contributor to their their community and ha- has a long term vision for contributing uh, and creating value in their life and and knocking them off at the knees for the rest of their life uh, that that reverberates for for decades and decades. And and it's it's quite obvious that that the prohibition is is the worse direction to go that 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 trade off is is far worse than than the legal trade off.
1: One thing that we've talked about in some of the other podcasts that we've done with the the C J R folks is the fact that there's so much emphasis and so much money put towards prohibition, put towards fighting the war on drugs, that it makes it difficult to do other policing objectives. I mean, how many times have you heard about States? I think it was Minnesota that had hundreds of rape kits that were never tested. How many States have murders that were never solved. And if we would not be fighting this war on drugs, if we would not be spending so much money on enforcing prohibition, that money could go over to actually solve crimes like murder, like rape. That's, a huge benefit to society when you can solve the crimes that have taken lives, that have violated people in horrible ways, rather than enforcing a law because somebody chose to ingest a plant.
0: Yeah, our argument is this this uh, support, this bill supports law enforcement because it, it has them focus on the things that are more of a threat to, to the citizenry, you know, violent crimes, things like that. Are 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 areas that I think we all would prefer the the police to focus on. Not only that, as we've discussed, it it eliminates an entire area of violent crime. You're getting rid of a prohibitive product and and making it legal, and it it takes time, you know, to get rid of a black market after you legalize something. Alcohol prohibition can show us that, but. Once you get, you know, at some point, that black market will, will fail to exist, especially if you keep the, the taxes at a reasonable rate and the regulations at a re- reasonable level. The, the black market will be eliminated and, and, and that violent crime will cease to exist. So it, it, I, I always view this as a pro-law enforcement bill because in the long run, this will help law enforcement, one, build trust with their communities, And two, eliminate a whole sector of crime so that they can focus on, on things that are more of a threat to society. You know, over 1.5 million Americans were arrested for drug related crimes in 2014, and over 700,000 of those were, were for cannabis. Imagine what we could achieve if we focus our, our resources and law enforcement towards In a more effective way.
1: You mentioned earlier about the cronyism and the taxes that leads us to talk about openness. When you have this this legalization of recreational, it's so important that we we actually keep it as free market as as possible. When you put up barriers like like taxes, like where you only have a few or only allow a few growers, or there's some sort of cronyism, you're not really solving the problem of the black market, are you? No.
0: Uh and, and a lot of the, the instances that opponents uh to these bills point to are like California or or Washington, where they have extremely high taxes and until recently had extremely onerous regulations as well, which made it really hard for anyone to get a license uh to open a store or to be be a manufacturer or a cultivator. And uh, then when they had that, it, it made it, the market was was depressed because uh, of the extremely high price uh, because of taxes and uh, the limitations on the market. And, and that's one of our main, our big reasons for getting involved in this is we saw on the south of our border how, how you could mess this up. Uh, Massachusetts had a very restrictive, very closed market. Um, they only gave licenses for for recreational stores to certain special businesses, uh, mainly uh, companies who have been involved in the medical cannabis space. So there, it took about a year, two years for more uh, an amount of stores to open to actually start increasing supply and lowering the price. But they also have things like opt-ins, uh, something we always oppose, which is towns having to, to vote to allow a cannabis store in their town. Something that n- nearly, in New Hampshire at least, would be a special case that, that no other industry, for the most part, is an opt-in where a town has to allow a business to participate. And, and then also, uh, you know, limiting having a market open so that that we were able to get a supply uh, that people who want to, to use the product can can easily get it. And, and uh, there's a demand and uh, a supply and demand system where the price is getting lower so that the black market gets blocked out.
1: There are those who will hear our discussion and we're going to talk about self-actualization next. And I can already already hear people saying, well, it's tough to self-actualize when you're baked out of your mind. So, I mean, this should be illegal. And of course, my response to that would be, you know, not all the barriers to self-actualization are imposed on the users. And I would also point out, as you've said multiple times, people are using regardless of the legality of it. So I guess what I'm looking for is what is your thinking when it comes to self-actualization as to how that relates how how legalization relates
0: to self-actualization. I mean self self-actual, self-actualization is, is your path to success and happiness, right? And and if we're limiting limiting where that path can lead just based on your, your own personal choices or other people's personal choices, which we believe can you know using cannabis, that is a personal choice the the consequences of using cannabis are, are aren't anything like the consequences of using using opiates or opioids or or amphetamines things like that that if you're making that choice and and then then that should be a path that you you can you can pursue and you know having cannabis be prohibitive limits people's path to self self actualization if that makes sense
1: no it does. It does and you also have to look at the people who who have had a, a very minimal role in in the the illegality or the black market. Maybe they're just maybe they're just a one-time user. And you talked about how big the ramifications can be towards that person when they're busted. That there are lifelong ramifications that can keep a person from reaching their full potential, aren't there?
0: And again and again looking back to to our activists who was able to kick a f- very bad addiction? How did that harm his self-actualization if he was never able to actually have that pathway to to sobriety? You know, the the fact of the matter is, only nine percent of cannabis uni- users are are in an in an addictive state. You know, alcohol it's fifteen percent of of uh, alcohol users. Have have addiction problems when it comes to using that product. Um, so it's obviously a far safer alternative than 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 some of the the other pathways to either sobriety or you know recreational use.
1: The bill didn't pass, and other than that, you've seen generally positive consequences from taking action on this in your state, though, haven't you?
0: Yes, I I think the conversation continues to this day And, and, and we continue to work with, with the legislature, with the governor to find a pathway to make this a successful endeavor in New Hampshire. And, and our vision, uh, continually and, and our input continually is considered now more than any other group on this issue in the entire state. We've, we've sort of set ourselves apart. And being the reasonable partner with the legislature to to find this pathway to success, our, our legislature likes to pump the brakes on things, and that's perfectly fine. But we we want to find a path to to finally break this barrier for for the people that it's that it's impacting, and you know we're we're always one step away. But we've taken a couple different different approaches, and every time we're part of the conversation. That makes a, a a big deal when it comes to getting involved in any other uh, CJR issue. That that because we we sort of stepped out on a limb here and said enough is enough, let's get involved in this. Let's make a positive difference. Because we did that, a lot of groups, a lot of groups, and, and a lot of uh, people on the other side of the aisle from us traditionally have really had trust in us ever since then they obviously don't pull their punches on on certain issues but they look us look at us in a much different light that they look at us as a potential partner when it comes to criminal justice reform and and they're willing to have conversations with us opposed to the past where we would never be able to have, you know, certain conversations with, with say, the, the minority leader in the house. But, but we have that trust with, with, with them because of this issue, because it was an important issue to them. And we got involved and, and we're trying to find a pathway to help them achieve this this success.
1: Thanks again to Ross for joining the podcast, and if you have any questions about this part of the Criminal Justice Reform Priority Initiative, or frankly, any of the other PIs we've talked about before, please send them to toppriority at afphq.org. I look forward to reading them. And if you haven't taken the opportunity to leave a review of the podcast, please consider doing that now on whatever service you're currently listening to us on. Until next time, take care, and we'll see you then.